beginning of this chapter, uh, I've titled this sermon, Time. And once you make it through our passage, you'll understand why it's titled Time. This passage is one that you've probably heard dozens of times in a number of different settings, but the most common being funerals. Uh, it's at the time of death that we often reflect upon uh, time. We reminisce about the time we spent with the person lying in the casket. We remember the different things that they accomplished and did in their life. And we also reflect upon how we're spending our allotted time. So this passage is a very fitting one for times of death. But as we're going to see this morning, it's very fitting for times of life. So let's take a look at these eight verses written for us in chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. It says, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Over the past three weeks, Carlton Weathers has preached through the first two chapters of this somber book, right? And he's helped us to see that this book is written from a under the sun or under the heavens perspective. And this is what the writer keeps repeating throughout. And it's the first thing we note in our passage this morning. He says, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter where... Under heaven. Under heaven, seasons come and seasons go. Matters come and matters go. And there are fixed times for seasons and matters. And anything else that doesn't fall into the category of a season or matter, which I don't think are many things. But one of the errors that we can make when we approach this passage in particular is that we begin reading verse 2 on through verse 8, and we presuppose that it's written prescriptively, meaning that this passage is telling us that there is time for us to build up. There is a time for us to love, a time for us to dance, and so on. You get my gist? But this is not prescriptive for us. Rather, this is written to simply describe the different seasons that are brought upon everyone's life. One of the big ideas in this passage and our first point today is that time doesn't belong to us. Time doesn't belong to us. Now as Westerners, we have a tendency to think that everything that's in our possession belongs to us, right? In fact, there's even a law for this. You might have heard of it. It's called adverse possession, Basically, it means something like this. 
it's in your possession long enough, you can acquire a title for it. It can become legitimately yours. And this is often how we think about time. We spend time every day. We save time. We invest time. We waste time. We give time away. But even though time is in our possession, it doesn't belong to us. Look where the writer starts at in verse 2. He says, there's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and time to pluck up what is planted. Now I want you to raise your hand if you're here this morning. And before you were born, you scouted out human history. You took a tour of the different continents. And you held interviews with people. All to find out when and where you would be born and to whom you would be born to. Just go ahead, raise it high so we can see you. No, of course not. So the point I'm making here is when the writer tells us that there's a time to be born, he's not saying that there's a time to have a baby. And when he tells us there's a time to die, he's not talking about end of life planning. Rather, he's saying birth happens and death happens. You don't control these things. Time doesn't belong to you. He exemplifies this in the very next line when he says there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. Anybody love tomatoes? I love tomatoes. What happens, Roy's laughing because he knows this, what happens when around Christmas time I call Mr. Roy and tell him that I'm really in the mood for tomatoes, and so I'm going to throw down some tomato seed in my backyard. And tell you what he's going to do. In Mr. Roy fashion, very kindly, he's going to explain to me that this would be a waste of my time. I don't get to decide when I plant tomatoes. I'm subject to time. And in the winter time, you can't grow tomatoes. Is that right, Mr. Roy? Okay, I just took a guess because I don't know when he makes these tomatoes. But I was thinking it's probably not in the cold. Okay, and I asked Google. But as we continue down the list, we see more and more clearly that we are subject to time. Time doesn't belong to us. When someone breaks into your home looking to harm your family, it's a time to kill. After someone wrecks their car into yours, causing you bodily trauma, it's a time to heal. These are natural responses we have to the times that are sovereignly dealt to us. No one wants their house broken into, whether it be today, tomorrow, or next year, right? And no one wants to be the victim of a wreck ever. But time doesn't belong to us. In 1985, a hit movie made its debut. This movie was called Back to the Future. Anybody seen this? All right, for those of you that haven't, you guys need to watch it. Uh, Stars Marty McFly, who's a typical teenager. At home, Marty's meek father, George, is bullied by his supervisor, Biff. His mother, Lorraine, is a depressed alcoholic, and his older siblings are professional and social failures. Marty is an expiring musician, but after his band is rejected for a music contest, he confides in his girlfriend that he has fears about becoming like his parents despite his ambitions. 
One night, Marty meets his eccentric scientist friend named Doc in a mall parking lot. Doc unveils a time machine built from a modified DeLorean, powered by plutonium that he swindled from terrorists. <laughs> Doc inputs a destination time of November 5th, 1955, the day he first conceived of his time travel invention, but the terrorists arrive unexpectedly to the parking lot. They open fire and shoot Doc. Marty flees in the DeLorean, inadvertently activating time travel when he reaches 88 miles an hour. The point of the movie is that Marty went back in time. Once he went back in time, he realized that by changing things in the past, he could change the future. So not being satisfied with his current lot in life, he goes to work seeking to fix things. However, what he comes to find out over the course of the movie is that every change he makes, he throws more of a wrinkle into the future than he wanted, thus creating consequences he didn't intend. He actually finds himself and others he loves disappearing from time. The reason I bring this movie up is to make the point that even if you could have scouted out human history before you were born, even if you could have toured the continents and set up interviews with prospective parents, you still would not be fully satisfied with the outcome. And that's because of our second point, which is sin has corrupted time. Sin has corrupted time. God created us in time. In the beginning, time was not a bad thing. Before sin, there was plenty of time to build, laugh, dance, gather, embrace, love, and it was always a time of peace. But as sin corrupted humanity, humanity in turn corrupted. Every second tick moves us closer to our awful fate, death. But not only this, our corrupt use of time brought forth all kinds of ripple effects that we see in our text this morning. Times of killing, times of breaking down, times of weeping, times of mourning, times of tearing, times of hating, and just as we're seeing in Afghanistan right now, times of war. But even more than this, sin's corruption has also caused us to try and look to time to satisfy or save us. We think that a time to marry will give our life significance and meaning, but it doesn't. We think that times of external peace will bring us, give our hearts the inner peace that we so desperately desire, but they don't. Just think about vacations. For those of you that love vacations, have you ever got on a vacation and after a few days of being on vacation, you get a little sad because you don't have much time left? <laughs> Maybe that's just me. <laughs> no, okay. Another example of this is in being a parent of small children. The nights are sometimes really, really long as our kids refuse to sleep. And Casey tells me that her days are extremely long as the kids are wired and ready to go making 97 messes before lunchtime. But many older parents have told us that while the days might be long, the years are short. 
kids grow up and move out in a flash. And what this contrast is getting at is that people like me want to get to a time where they can just sleep six straight hours. Amen? Maybe not always be cleaning up somebody else's mess. But older people seem to want times of love and affection from children once again. They would love for kids, their kids, to be babies again and crawl into their bed and cuddle up in their arms in the middle of the night. And meanwhile, I just want some space. But do you see how busted this is? No matter where we are at in time, we're not happy with it. When it's a time to keep, we're wanting to cast away. When it's a time to sow, we're wanting to tear. When it's a time to break down, we're wanting to build up. And this is all because sin has corrupted time. Kids are never ready to leave the playground. Never. And no one is ever ready to say goodbye to someone they love. It's never a good time to have a hard conversation. And bad news, you're never going to have enough time to get what you want done. (laughs) And this can feel depressing. Realizing that time doesn't belong to us, thus leaving us subject to time, And knowing that time has been corrupted by sin can be very discouraging. In fact, some of you might be becoming extremely anxious and a little uncomfortable as I talk about this. Makes you feel boxed in, right? But this is the reality. We are stuck in sinful times. But I want you to know that there's good news for the Christian this morning. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Sons of the one who lives not under the son. You see, Adam and Eve enjoyed time before it was ever corrupted by sin. But they were told that God is keeping things from them. And was this true? Was God keeping things from them? Well, in a sense, yes. Look back at our passage. Was God keeping times of death from them? He absolutely was. Was God keeping times of killing from them? Yes, again. Was God keeping times of weeping and mourning from them? Yes. Was God keeping times of loss and hate and war from them? Yes. Was God keeping the corruption of all time from them? Yes, he was. But this was because he loved them. He never wanted them to experience these awful realities. But they believed a lie. And so for thousands of years, people experienced the most awful evils you can imagine. Even God's chosen people were subject to times of injustice, disease, peril, affliction, poverty, and slavery. Because they lived in time that they corrupted by sinning against God. 
But the scriptures tell us in Romans 5, 6, that at just the right time, while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. Jesus came to rescue us from corrupted time. Church, did you know that things are not actually out of control in this moment in time? They're not. While human history since the fall has looked like complete and utter chaos, constantly spinning out of control, our God, who is in the heavens and does whatever he pleases, has been divinely, beautifully, precisely orchestrating his story of redemption the whole time. (laughs) He is in complete control. So yes, for us who live under the sun, this moment in time will seem like it's out of control. But the question we must ask is, out of whose control? Out of our control? Well, that's the way it even was in Genesis 1 and 2. Before the fall, while God gave us dominion over his creation, he never gave us control of time. But in desiring to be like him, we reached out for this. And that's when everything went spiraling downward. And still to this day, church, many of us try to reach and control the times, simply causing more corruption to the world around us. Listen to 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Listen in here having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Because of sinful desire. Our last point today is an exhortation. And it's to rest in the timeless one. Church, time does not belong to us. And the time we live in has been corrupted by sin. Therefore, we must rest in the timeless one. And the reason I point out the ending of the 2 Peter uh, passage is because it makes clear that the corruption of time that we're experiencing is due to sinful desire. Specifically, this is the pride and arrogance of thinking things like time do belong to us. How I spend my time is my choice. What happens in my time is up to me. But James warns us from this type of arrogance. In James 4, 13 through 16, he says, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a midst that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. 
what we can gather from the first two chapters of this book and today's text is that worldly wisdom can easily lead us into thinking that we are in control of our destiny. But that's why the writer plainly tells us here in chapter three that we are subject to time. Therefore, our only hope is to rest in the timeless one. The timeless one whose name is Jesus. And here's what Jesus declared when he stepped into time. Mark 1.15. The time is fulfilled. <laughs> and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. What does Jesus mean that the time is fulfilled? Well, the time of waiting anticipating all creation groaning and suffering under the corruption of time has been filled up and now the timeless one that every heart longs for who can fix it all who can make it all new has stepped into time and what does he arrive to do redeem his people from the corrupted time that they live in <laughs> and how does he do this well, he does this by taking on the very symbol, the mark, the boss, if you will, of corrupted time whose name is death. The timeless one steps into time and he dies. The darkest day in the history of the world. Leading the disciples to think, what hope have we now? But three days later, church, the timeless one rises from the dead putting on display his power over time and also ending the corruption of time for all those who would believe in him. The kingdom of God is at hand. When you repent of your obsession with trying to control time and you believe and trust in the timeless one, you will be saved from the corruption of time which ends in death. You see, for those of us who have placed our faith in the timeless one, we are now able by the power of the Holy Spirit to redeem the time. This is why Paul commends us in Ephesians 5, 16. He says, look carefully then as you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because why? The days are evil. When we receive the wisdom from above, we will have a transformed view of all the seasons and the times mentioned here in Ecclesiastes 3. Church, Christians shouldn't dread death anymore because this end will be our truest beginning. And Christians shouldn't avoid weeping because these tears make us long for the day when Jesus will wipe all of them away forever. The timeless one transforms our understanding and our perspective of the times. And therefore, we rest in him. We rest in him. And while this world lives in corrupted time, we as Jesus' bride have been set free. Amen? I want you to look at the graphic this week. Carlton pointed out something last week about it. He said it looked 
like a maze, which it is, like a Pac-Man maze. You know, and Pac-Man, you figure it out and you just get another level that looks just like it, right? But I want to point out something else. Look at that maze. Where's the exit? How do you get out of there? There's not one. And for those who don't know Jesus, there is no exit from corrupted time. So church, why are we surprised when they do the wildest things they can think of in their short moment? But for those of us who do know Jesus, we have been set free from corrupted time. This means for the moments we have left, whether we are being dealt times of weeping or times of laughing, times of tearing or times of sowing, times of seeking or times of losing, may we cling to the timeless one and see his redemption in all of it. All of it. Amen? Church, I want to call you to respond to this truth of the gospel that you've just heard today. This morning, we get the privilege of responding by taking the Lord's Supper. So the band's going to come and begin to play. And in just a moment, I'm going to open the table. And if you're a born-again believer who's trusting in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then I want to invite you to come and receive the bread and the drink. Listen to these words out of the Gospel of John. Jesus says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. And the, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. If you've not publicly professed faith in Jesus and been baptized this morning, then the pastors and myself would ask you to not take the supper. Instead, we would invite you to come and grab one of us and let us know that this morning you want to repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus. So I'm going to begin opening the table now as they begin to play. And once it's open, church, you can come.
church, would you go ahead and stand together as we sing this verse together? Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransom church of God be saved to sin no with just our voices. Your sins by faith I saw the stream standing. I want to read from Luke 22. When the time had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Drink. Amen. Church, I can't think of a better way, uh, or a better service, actually, all together, seeing what Christ is doing through new life in his body, through hearing his word proclaimed, knowing that he is sovereignly in control of all things, and we wouldn't want anybody else in control, amen? And then us taking and eating and drinking of our Savior, Jesus, who is our only hope. So go out now, and this is your benediction today. Tell the whole world this good news. Amen? You're dismissed. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. That is absolutely right. We are singing the doxology. So gather uh, hands across. I, I would have not have Corey, made it out Corey of here. Corey might not if have made it through the week if we forgot about it. Man. Thank you, Adam.
Adam's going to lead us in the doxology. Thank you for being here.